Greetings in Jesus' name, the one we've come here to worship and adore this morning. It's glad to see each one of you here. Glad you could come. And uh, glad we can have communion service. And, you know, it's such a special time and uh, it's a special service because it means so much to us. <clears throat> so I'm glad that we give out the council cards that, you know, it's with a heart of love that we say, yes, I want to commune. It'd be a sad day when God's children wouldn't want to commune, wouldn't it? Because if communion with Jesus on a regular basis is so important to us, then communing in this fashion where we commemorate his broken body and his shed blood, that's indeed really special. And it's interesting for us to remember that, that Jesus was both the pre priest and the offering. Never happened before or since. And yet he was the one that offered it up and was wanting to offer himself for us. He was the redeemer and the one that's intimately involved with the redeemed. What a blessing. And that's why we can enjoy the service this morning. So it's a blessing that we can participate in the Lord's Supper. And, you know, a lot of times I think when we think of supper, we think of food. Well, this is spiritual food, and so we can enjoy the Lord's Supper this morning. So for a text, I'd like us to look at 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23. You know, when you love someone, it always has a price. Do you ever think about that? You know, Jesus could have said he loved you and not done anything for you, and you'd wonder what he meant. And, you know, in good uh, relationships, whether it's marital or just otherwise, you know, there's giving and taking for it to work. You ever noticed that? If you're a taker, you won't have good relationships. If you're a giver... You know, giving in, uh, doing things that aren't always convenient, showing love in, in ways that we feel like, why does it have to go this way? That's the way it shows love. Love always cost. It always did and always will. And you, so we think about that, even in brotherhood. You know, what does it cost? Well, we heard in devotion sometimes it costs us or we have to die. We have to die to our own will. And I think that's very true spiritually because we're born with a will to, uh, and a desire to do what is wrong, to be self-centered. You know, I had to imagine, I had to think, was Jesus ever self-centered? I don't think you can see a time. It's amazing. Think about his life. He was always giving out and doing the good for the other. Love always cost. Now, <clears throat> you know, we get, he gave his life, and we can't really do that, but we can give in, and that's a high cost, isn't it? <laughs> to give in for Jesus, yes. And yet, that love always cost. You know, the more we love, the more we're blessed. The more we're blessed by God. And it's just, it's amazing to think, and I think it's really good to think more than just in communion morning, the cost of my redemption, the cost of our redemption. 
Now here, Paul speaks upon inspiration to the Corinthian believers. And they were a sort that had lots of troubles. <clears throat> Probably uh, uh, maybe even more than the Anabaptist church does today, even though I'm sure we have our own struggles. You know, they were, they were a church that they didn't mind divisiveness. You know, I'm a follower of Paul, and I'm a follower of Paulus. You know, he did this and that. And, you know, they were divisive. They didn't seem to mind, so he had to correct that issue. They weren't really willing to be very discerning because they could accommodate an immoral person way more than God ever intended. And evidently they had marriage problems because he had to give a big uh, writing on marriage. And, you know, it's still encouraging for us today uh, to be encouraged in those matters. And then, you know, they were even so rebellious and problematic, he had to talk about the head covering. <laughs> and I'm glad he did, so we could understand what uh, he was, uh, God's thoughts on those matters. And then on the Lord's Supper, you know, they had desecrated it so much or become so selfish that they had major problems with the way they uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So we'll cut in verse 23. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This is the cup. This is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if you would, have, would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. <clears throat> but when we are judged... We are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned by the world. Now, there's, there's a lot being said here. But it is sad to think that when they come for the Lord's Supper, that they obviously or evidently would come and were very selfish in this process. I mean, they would come and everything they wanted to be first or eat the most, whatever it was. And they actually would leave... Um, there wasn't enough for everyone, and they were leaving some out, and, and they weren't thinking about what they were doing. And so he said, examine yourself. Let a man examine himself. And we take it very seriously, examine ourselves, Because when we come and we commune with God at, at the Lord's table in a special way like this, to come here and to do it unworthily and to do it not in true fellowship with him, because we're having a, 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 a constant daily walk with the Lord is to desecrate the Lord's Supper. And we don't want to do that. We can come here this morning because we have taken it responsibly to let God examine us and say, 
is there something in my life that needs to change? Am I living current with the Lord? And am I walking with him on a daily basis? Am I willing to sacrifice myself for him? And when we can answer those in the positive, it is a really a privilege to do so. And he sat there and said, you know, really, you ought to let God judge you. You ought to judge yourself among here so the world don't have to judge you. And that's a good thought. You know, the world shouldn't be looking at it. Now, why do they live the way they do? I mean, man, they, they're not meeting this standard. And, you know, sometimes the world is more critical than we'd like them to be. You know, sometimes they see things that, well, that we miss sometimes. But he said, and said he's saying in here that when we judge ourselves and we let the brotherhood uh, discern and we encourage each other and are open to each other, that's how we grow in the Lord. So that's a process, that chastening of the Lord, and, and the Lord is doing that through the brotherhood. I think that's beautiful. He encourages that. And you know, the people, us as a godly people that want to grow in the Lord, that want to commune worthily, we enjoy, we enjoy encouragement from the brotherhood. We, we like that. And that's encouraging. So he, he says that, and so he said also that... Uh, I received this of the Lord. And that was amazing how Paul, well after Jesus' time, would, could say those things. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Okay? This is a person that wants to commune and walk worthy with, with the Lord. Verse 2. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, lest ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that was, that was always Paul's claim. And of course, we know 1 Corinthians 15, if you know that. Uh, that's the resurrection chapter. But the, the, this morning we're looking at Jesus dying for our sins. And he cared about, look, he said, you know, I received this of the Lord. I want to give it back to you. I want you to receive the Lord and to follow him. And uh, I am glad we don't need to walk like the Corinthian church. We can read that book of Corinthians. First, and we can grow thereby. We can be strengthened in it by following his word. And, and so then he says, he goes on to mention, and if you received the Lord which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that wording is for a reason. You know, we accept Jesus because Jesus come to be the Savior. It means Jehovah is salvation. And we love Jesus. And, and, and we want to follow him. And this morning's partaking of the Lord's Supper here. It makes it really special what Jesus has done for us. But the wording Lord Jesus is also very special. Lord means supreme in authority, controller. For every Christian, that's very special. We come to Jesus and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. And you know, Protestantism sort of says, I believe in Jesus. And then it's pretty much a believism. But lordship is way more than just believing. It does include believing for sure. But it's giving over the controls. It's being 
following closely and submissively the will of another. Isn't that wonderful? Now that makes this service very special this morning because we're partaking these emblems in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus. And you know, really, the Bible would be indicative that if he's not Lord, he's not Savior. So if we're going to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, which thank God we as Christians are, lordship comes with it. You know why? It's not that hard. Who is controlling if Jesus isn't? That's the question. Is it me, the world, Satan? Well, it's not Jesus, that's right. And you know, as Christians, we're controlled and we want to be like Jesus. Jesus wanted to magnify the Father and we want to magnify our Savior, right? And so to do that, to, be, to bring Jesus glory, we must be controlled by him. We're here to glorify Jesus. And it sounds simple, but actually when it comes into our hearts working, it's fairly difficult sometimes. He's our Lord because I don't want myself as Lord. You want, we want to... People seem to like the idea that it's all about themselves, but the fact is that's a wretched life. You know, when Jesus isn't Lord, it's a miserable life, and it's an empty life. But praise God, with Jesus leading, we have a fulfilled life. We have a meaningful life, and it's always good to remember that. Wow, Christians love having Jesus as the Lord of their life. And it isn't just said... It's in the life. It's in the life. What a tremendous blessing to be that way. No wonder it says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, But to this there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. And that's so beautiful, the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if we appreciate him enough. I wonder if we love him enough. You know, everyone that partakes of these emblems here this morning, we're saying, Lord, we love you, we appreciate you, and we want you as our Lord. Because when he's our Savior, He's our Lord also. What a tremendous blessing that we have to, to remember that Jesus is the Lord of our life. And that same night, then he took, that same night in which he was betray, betrayed, he took the bread and he took the cup. And I'd like to go back to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and read a few verses there. This is the actual happening. Read verse 2. And you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is portrayed to be crucified. Now, to them that meant a lot. Because in Exodus it plainly says that the Passover was a feast to be kept, uh, is a feast by an ordinance forever. Forever. 
And I think they, they, they lived that way. They believed, they remembered that. And I tell you, I think they told her that story. And I don't know how often, but I get the feeling that they reminisced their spiritual past maybe more than we do. And maybe we could learn from that. I think they were telling their children and their children's children about how they was in, uh, in Egypt in bondage. And you know, well, a very special miracle happened. There was, uh, there was nine of them already before with those Egyptians. But that night, to imagine that just because they killed that lamb in a very special way, and I'm, uh, uh, I'm amazed sometimes how much God has given to minute details. Why did it have to be that way? Because he wanted it that way, okay? And he's given to minute details, even though a lot of times we aren't. Jesus is. God is. And they had, and, but I tell you, they had to do it and eat it in a certain manner and leave certain parts and use certain parts certain ways. But that blood had to be on the doorpost and on the, on the lintel there. It was very important. And to imagine doing something that didn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, I want to know, why, does, why is that? They never did anything like this before. Why? Because it showed obedience. It showed obedience. It showed submissive, su submission to God's will. And to realize that that death angel come through there and passed over every home that was willing to be obedient to that level. And they remembered that. They knew that their, they knew that their, their children, firstborn, was spared because of that. You know, I think when they did that, I think it was a very special time. They took time to think, what a blessing. What a blessing. And you know, that death angel has passed over you too. When you accepted the blood of Jesus into your life and for forgiveness of sins, the death angel has passed over you too. And we can praise the Lord for that. We can praise the Lord. I think we need to rejoice in that more. It's what a blessing. Now, jumping down to verse 17. <clears throat> Now the first day of the week of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, where, will, where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with, with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed, and they made ready the Passover. And now when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. Now then jumping on down to verse, because uh, in between it talks about uh, the issue that, uh, that one would betray him. And then verse 26 says, to throw 28 says, And when they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You can think all day how they was thinking about it. And I had to wonder many times that, but I tell you, I praise God. We don't have to worry about what they're thinking about. We can think about, we, we can think about what we should be thinking about, okay? He's saying, look, we're 2,000 years approximately past the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he's saying when you drink that cup 
and you eat that bread, you're thinking you should be thinking about no question his passion, his suffering for your sins and mine. He was willing to go through the, the gruelest of, of, of the death type that there was at that time, the most shameful death for our sins. And we ought to thank God for that. And he was willing to shed his blood for our sins. And uh, this is very special. So they're sitting there thinking, you know, when's this going to happen? We know when it happened. We have it wrote down. And, and it's very, very important that we remember that. Jesus said a couple years earlier, he said, I am the bread of life. Did you ever think about that? Jesus is your spiritual life. He absolutely is. We praise God for that. Now, there's nothing new, but it's very profound. I think it's good we think about that. Okay? Back then, they, they, they ate a lot of bread. And they still do over in Israel. They ate a lot of bread. Now, you might not. And, uh, uh, but it doesn't make a difference. It still means the same. It, for them, and for, it was the sustenance of their physical life. He said, I am the bread of life. And it's still the same way for, for us today. For us... To have spiritual life, we must be coming to Jesus on a regular basis. Amen? We must be partaking. We, we, and we, we do that by saying, by reading his word and feasting on it on a regular basis. He is our sustenance. And also, it also means we look to him in, for daily strength. We look to him. We can't fight the enemy on our own. When he's the Lord of our life, we're calling out to, the, to our master saying, Lord, I need your help. And we're looking to him for victory. And it comes back, do we appreciate him enough? Do we appreciate what he's done? It, it's just incredible for us to remember what he did for us. King of kings, Lord of lords. He owned everyone. He created everyone. He created every individual that was hostile to him. He created everyone that rejects him. He loved them so much. He said, I'm going to die for you. And you can take that personal. You can take that personal. He died for us. He said, look, you know, this plan is from the creation. And I'm going to follow through with it. Because he had to say, soon after this, where we read there in Matthew, he had to say, he had a Gethsemane experience, and it say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. You know? He wanted the Lord's will be done, and he was willing to shed his blood so that you and I can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And there's no other way. You know, and I know people carry crosses around on their necks, some of them pull them physically around behind them for a show. But the cross, if it doesn't symbolize forgiveness and the shed blood of Jesus, we missed it all. We've missed it all. And so it's not just symbolism. It's an experience that we can enjoy. The cleansing blood of Jesus on our sins. Nobody can eat and drink worthily without the blood of Jesus on their sins. And I praise God we can have that. We have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He sacrificed his blood for us. And no wonder Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 19. 
but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What a blessing. What a blessing. Jesus shed that blood, and it is precious to every believer. It's very precious. And so, this morning as we partake of these emblems, I hope they're just a little bit more precious to you. Now, I know we do it twice a year, but that, doesn't, that isn't formality. This is special. This is special. I hope you think, and I think we as Christians do, I hope you do, that every time you ask Jesus for forgiveness, and it's probably more than twice a year. It's probably more than twice a year. At least it is for, for some of us. I can show you that. That we think, thank you, Jesus. This is a provision I didn't deserve, but I sure appreciate it. Because how can we maintain that right relationship without forgiveness of sins? We cannot. But praise God, we do have. Uh, he wants to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, he provides that for us. He cares about that. He cares about us being blameless before him. What a tremendous blessing. What a tremendous opportunity that we have to be his children and to follow him faithfully. Yes. There's a passage in, in Corinthians that uh, speaks about this that is a real blessing. First, uh, I, mean, I mean, excuse me, Colossians. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Verses 13 and 14, where it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 13 says a lot. It is good for a Christian to remember that without Jesus, you're living in darkness. Without being born again, we're living in darkness. And more than we, it's more than we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's happening. We can't really discern what's going on. It's more than that. We're within the powers of darkness, okay? That means you're in the wrong kingdom. Satan rules your life. See, it's, it's kingdom. There's two kingdoms, you know? And so you're in the wrong kingdom, and it's a kingdom where a person lives in bondage to Satan, in bondage to their own selves, in bondage to their own will. The powers of darkness. Man can't control themselves. Man cannot control themselves. In other words, when they're in that kingdom, Satan controls them. Powers of darkness. But I praise God. He said, we can be transformed. We can be transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. How we do that? Through Jesus' blood and forgiveness of sins. It's very important. Yes, now jumping down to verses 20 through 22 where it says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by whom to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, ye now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. 
Now, I don't know if you can fathom, and I'm not sure man can truly fathom, how we were enemies of Jesus. Because we love being friends of Jesus. We love that. And, you know, we, we, it's just hard for us to imagine that before I accepted Jesus, I was the enemy of Jesus. Well, that's true. We were alienated from fellowship of Jesus. That's very true. My, our sins put us in direct odds with the holy God. And, it, and that's just a fact. Because we did wicked things. We did evil things. But he said, look, but you're changed. Now you're reconciled. Now you're his children. And how did it happen? Through the death of Jesus. Through the shed blood of Jesus, we can be his beloved, forgiven children. That's what makes us special this morning. It's through the blood of Jesus. But it does say something there that kind of is very challenging. And then he, if, if we as Christians walk circumspectly, carefully, and, and we, we use the life that Jesus gives us, okay? He gives us life. He gives us strength. And we appropriate ourselves to that. We're beseeching his guidance and, and strength in our life. We can walk a life that is holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. I tell you, that is a good life. That is a wonderful life. And I don't know how you feel. That's why we need to examine ourselves. Am I walking holy before God? Am I walking unblameable before God? Am I walking above reproach before God? I thank God that he says you can do that. That's what he wants to see on, on our accounts. A, 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 a child of God that is following him faithfully, that is doing his biddings, yes, Till he comes. Till he comes. And that's what it said there in verse 26 of our, of our text passage. Till he comes. You know, and communion reminds us of the past. What Jesus did for us. It reminds us of our past. We were sinners. We were all sinners. Yes. It, it reminds us of our present Jesus is still forgiving our sins. Such a blessing to think of what Jesus did for us and how he gives us this present position of a holy walk with him. There's no other way than without Jesus' blood on our sins. And then also the present, when he died, to think of one other aspect, he's interceding for you and me. And I think that's an important part of us making it. He's interceding. And that part of the present is, since he died, shed his blood, and went to heaven, yes, we have the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And that's a critical part. Everything's critical, isn't it? In a spiritual walk, it is. But he says, look, now you have all this, understand all this, guess what? You have a beautiful future. Yes, it might be on this earth another 10, 20, 30 years. Yes, there might be some pandemics, but you have a beautiful future. You know why? Jesus is the Lord of your life. That's why. Jesus is the Lord of your life. We're following him. We're doing his biddings. We're obedient to him. We're saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I will do. 
I'll sacrifice anything for you. And you know what we're saying? Lord, I'm looking forward to living with you now and forever and ever. Yes, that is the blessedness of the Lord's Supper. Show we bow our heads. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love wherewith you loved us. Even when we were sinners and we were enemies of you, Lord, you sent Jesus to die, to suffer, to bleed for our sins. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your wonderful plan. Thank you that Jesus was willing to go forth and to follow the plan. And we thank you for sonships into your body, into your kingdom, the body of Christ. What a blessing, Lord. And I thank you then for brotherhood. I thank you for each one here this morning. How we can be here as a, a brotherhood that loves you and wants to commune, wants to follow you. And that brings a closeness and a love to, to Jesus and to each other that only can be found because we're wanting to walk holy and blameless before you. Bless each one here this morning. Lord, just give us a heart of thankfulness and appreciation to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.